got a little bone to pick with the programming department. Would it kill you every once in a while to play a little fog hat? Final hour of our broadcast week. Welcome. Welcome to, oh, from the Curve Subaru studio. Torch up stories this hour. Oh, can we take a little trip down history lane? Seattle and Pacific Northwest history. And this is very, very, very personal for me. Because I've, I've told the story that I was about seven. I, I was an aimless drifter almost when I was a kid. I was, I was kind of bright and I'd graduated high school and started college when I was 15. But I, I had no goals. I wanted to manage a warehouse. That was my aspiration. Or be a professional gambler. I'd go to Tahoe and play in the U.S. Open backgammon. And I was working on counting cards so I could be a blackjack hustler. And I was I I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, I was on a bad path. And then when I was about seventeen, I thought, well, broadcasting that might be kind of fun. And so I I started on that path, and I started making connections and interning at an Everett radio station, which got me in the press box at Mariners and Seahawks and Sonics games, all of whom played in the kingdom at the time. And I, I started making connections with people. And there was a guy, and I... I'm I'm guessing maybe one out of a thousand people listening will know this name. But at KVI Radio, they had this really colorful older guy sportscaster named Steve Agbaba. And then he called himself the great one, Steve Agbaba. And he did an evening sports talk show and he did sports reports and and I, 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 I greatly admired what he had carved out for himself. And then one day, Steve Agbaba pulled me aside at a Mariner game. And he, had, he was doing a nightly radio show called The Kingdom Report. And he pulled me aside and he said he was going to move back to Alaska, which is where he came from. And he wanted to keep the Kingdom Report alive. And he saw some promise in me, and he asked me if I would want to take it over. And what it was, was it was a nightly one-minute sports report of whatever happened at the Kingdom. Mariner game, Seahawk game, uh, motocross, you know, whatever it was. Home show. And uh, but but he, he had gotten about thirty radio stations in Washington, and there were a couple in Alaska and Oregon and Idaho. 
and he would record his kingdom report one minute sportscast on a cassette that went in an old style telephone answering machine and the radio stations that had signed up and it was up to him agbaba the great one to sell a commercial within the kingdom report and he said hey if you can sell a commercial you can make whatever money you get off of that i'm i'm 18 years old and i've never made more than 250 an hour and he said, but if you want to take this over, he said, I'd like you to do that. Because he was he was just being very gracious to me because he he thought he saw something in me. And that was a dream come true. So I'm going to do a sports report every night, record it. These radio stations are going to call this answering machine their overnight board op will record it, and then they'll play it on their morning newscast. I'm going to be on 30 stations at age 18. That was a big deal. But there was a billion-time bigger deal associated with that. I talked to the people at the Kingdom, and there was this lovely, wonderful woman who ran the Kingdom named Carol Keaton. And I, I, I said, hey, I have this opportunity to do the Kingdom Report every night. But I don't really have an answering machine. I don't, I don't have a place for the radio stations to call. Would the Kingdom, since we're publicizing your building, would you give me a space to stash an answering machine that the radio stations would call and she said yes and again it's just another example of how how god blessed i was because of these people who kept saying yes to my insanity my insane dreams and aspirations and she, she she walked on the press level, which is on the 200 level of the kingdom. There was a hallway, and she walked me down this hallway, and she pulled out her key, and she opened the door to literally a broom closet. And she said, well, you can put the answering machine on the floor of this broom closet. But you have to come every night and load up your cassette tape. To which I said, well, that's like the, that's like the greatest dream I've ever been offered. And so I'm 18 years old, 18, 19. And I, every night, would sit with my Radio Shack cassette recorder I would record a one oh gosh I wish I wish I had some of these on tape still. I know I know I do somewhere on cassette. But I would sit and I would record a 1 minute report. But then the magic would begin. I would drive to the north parking lot at the Kingdom 
at midnight, 12.30 a.m., and there was one person in the entire building, and it was the security guard at the north gate, and he knew me, and he was he was a lovely man, too. And I would walk in, and I would I'd be all by myself in the kingdom. And you got to understand, Kingdom opened in 76, so I was 14 years old. This is only four or five years later. And I'd go past the security gate with my little cassette tape, and I'd go to the elevator, and I'd go up to the press level, and I'd walk in, and I swear to you, every single night, I'd walk through an empty press box in an empty building, and I'd look out, and I would see my dreams starting to come true. It was it was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable experience. And I'd walk through that press box, and I had my own kingdom key, and I'd open the broom closet, and I'd put my cassette tape in the answering machine, and I'd take out the old one to recycle. And on particularly magical nights, the overnight board op in, you know, Sitka, Alaska, or Wenatchee, or or Medford, Oregon, would call. And I'd see the tape start spooling out, and I'd know they were recording it, and I'd know that my voice was going to go out. And I'm telling you, it was magic. And so you're probably wondering, why are you bringing all this up today? Because 20 years ago, today, the kingdom was imploded. And our dear friend, Felix Spinell, who is just, you know, this awesome Northwest historian and an archiver of moments like that, Felix sent Nicole and me the audio of the live coverage, Dave Ross and me, on a Sunday morning covering the implosion of the kingdom 20 years ago Today, it was a really emotional day for me, for all the reasons I just told you. It was a Sunday morning. Uh, Safeco Field had already been built, so we were on a concourse at Safeco Field watching the kingdom come down. And I just wanted to share this with you. This is a little bit of the kingdom implosion 20 years ago today. Okay, we are 60 seconds away from the Seattle skyline, forever changing. Kingdom has been, uh, for better or for worse, one of the most distinctive landmarks in the city, along with the Space Needle for the last quarter century, and now about 40 seconds away from our skyline, forever changing as the Kingdom will come down. Soon to follow a new football stadium. Begins play a little over two years from now. With 30 seconds away. Helicopters overhead. The 
crowd standing by Elliott Bay, packed with boats, crowds under the Alaskan Way Viaduct, crowds on the 12th Avenue Bridge, crowds on the side of Beacon Hill, just below the Amazon.com headquarters. And I'm with you, Dave. My heart is just pounding right now, waiting for that to happen. Here it goes. Tremendous dust cloud. We did see... That looked terrific from the north end, guys. Nothing out this way. They are coming... There's a huge dust... That's a great bit of news here. This is Mark going out Occidental. It looked great. It really pulled hard off Occidental. The dust cloud is moving this way. Slowly, though. And it is the dust cloud has completely engulfed the Alaskan Way Viaduct. is moving towards the waterfront. And it is coming towards us as well. But some of the people are running from who are under the viaduct seem to be running away to escape the dust cloud. It's moving slowly in this direction, but it hasn't completely covered the stadium exhibition hall. Did you notice how the explosion rippled across the ribs? Yes. Of the um, of the dome, and then it was just uh, gone. And I can tell you, the stadium shook. It was. Uh, oh, I was leaning against the pole absolutely. here. It was rocking back and forth, and you could feel the percussive effect in your. Midsection. Yeah, yeah. It, it uh, definitely you felt it uh, to your very center of your body as it exploded out. Uh, that was 20 years ago today on Cairo Radio. Dave Ross and I covering the Kingdom implosion. Can't believe it's been 20 years. Huge part of my dream making going down that day. But I've had a lot of good dreams at the replacement places too. Celebrating the life and career of Dory Monson. You're listening to the very best of the Dory Monson Show. Please enjoy this celebration of the life and career of Dory Monson. You're listening to the best of the Dory Monson Show. Once again, I have to ask the question, if our local public officials can get anything done on time and on budget. By the way, what's this uh, bumper here, Sean? Is this new? Yeah, this is new. This is Dead Mouse, a song called I Remember. Dead Mouse featuring Cascade. It's a real real good one. You know what? I am digging this. Yeah? I'm digging the vibe. Vegas here. pool party, right? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, I've been throwing in some new bumps all week. All A lot of Dead Mouse. He's got some good jams. Man, oh man. Does this have lyrics? 
Yeah, but, but not, you, you not, this not this version. Oh. It's a great song with the lyrics, too. Female vocals. Female vocals? Oh, yeah. Can you find the version with lyrics? Can I? I want to hear it. Of course I can. I'm loving this. Yes. I was just talking with a friend a little bit ago about Vegas, which I'm not going to go to as much anymore. I've decided. That's a lie. <laughs> I'm not going to go as much anymore. Okay, so I, I'm thinking you usually go, what, three to four times a year? So what are you going to do? No. Twice? I don't go four times a year. Okay, three. That's happened. Three Some live mixing. Happened. Live mixing on the radio. Wow. Oh, wait, well, how many times are you going to go a year? Who? Two or three. Oh, yeah. Do you, do, you, do you have a couple turntables in there now? I got two turntables and a microphone. Hey, can somebody explain to me? I had a different news topic I was going to do here until I heard that bumper. Uh, so you were at the, my daughter's wedding Saturday night. I was. Okay. And the DJ that uh, we hired, I thought they did a fantastic job. Yeah. They, they were great. But they wouldn't play the Billy Joel song that I requested No, for you. they wouldn't do uh, It's Just a Fantasy. Apparently they ran out of time. Which was... the first, paid him for an extra hour. The first song my wife and I ever danced to was It's Just a Fantasy at the uh, sorority tolo that she invited me to. I tried and I even dropped your name in the request and... It still didn't happen. Mm. No, but somebody's got to explain something to me. Maybe you can, Sean. So, uh, DJ was fantastic, but... He had two turntables. Why do we still need turntables? Because all the music's on the laptop. Why? Oh, it's just fun. But is it is it functional? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of DJs that actually still use vinyl. So it, they were actual turntables. He was no. he was spinning vinyl, or no, it was like it was digital. I believe it was a digital turntable. So but he had so he it's operating like a turntable, but but really, it's just for show. It's, Pretty much for show, but I mean, he can make noises with it. I wish that I had more knowledge about this because I want to school you both, but I can't do it right now. But I just, I know that the entire music catalog is is on the laptop there. Yeah. And, and I just, I didn't understand the whole turntable But I know thing. if you've got two turntables or two devices, that's the way you can fade between one song and the other and easily. And that's what's happening. Sean has, a, Sean has a board in there. It just has, a, what are they, like, they slide up and down, yeah, right? mixers. Right. Well, they're pots. They're faders. They're pods. Poten yeah. Pots. Pots. Potentiometers? Is that what that stands for? Pot? Yes. Okay. But there, did you notice that the song would never end? He would... Very, you know, with the turntable, right, move into a song. In fact, sometimes he would cut off whole verses, and I was a little bummed about it. But um, but he yeah. would turn from one song to another okay. using the turntable. Wait a second, I want to hear this song. I tell you what, man. Wait till it gets to the hook. If I had a convertible still with a fantastic sound system, a hot summer night. This plan, me flying down the highway. Your hair flapping in the wind. Oh, my goodness. That would be a drive right there. Is this better than the $100 million sewage tunnel that's over budget? You can save it for big lead. I'm going to have to now because they teased about how they can't do anything on time and on budget here in Seattle and King County. Now a sewage tunnel. But see, I can't get upset. I can't work up any rage while this is playing right now. You're a you're a dead mouse fan, aren't you? So hundred million dollars? What's the matter? Plenty more where that comes from, man. Here we go, Dory. Okay. 
Drop the beat, Sean. I simply love this. Awesome. I simply love it. Okay, I'll have to tell you about the sewage tunnel. I'm just too mellow right now. Uh, in the big lead, we got a lot of other stuff we're going to get to. And explain the whole turntable thing to me, too. You can always text us at 989073-98973. Ursula's going to check the news. And then the big lead at two is coming up next. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate some of our favorite moments from the Dory Monson Show. You're listening to a celebration of the best moments in Dory Monson Show history. For more information on the life and career of our friend Dory, please visit MyNorthwest.com. You know, I was thinking, uh, last, last night I had one of those moments of nostalgia because a week ago, uh, I was gone for a couple of days last week because I took my wife. It was my Christmas gift to her. We went to Vegas, saw Michael Buble. I was very, very nice. Was, I'm, not, I'm not the greatest gift thinker-upper, but that was, that was a good one there. But total coincidence, the NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters, they were in Vegas at the same time as me. Not only were they in Vegas, it was at the same hotel where I was staying. I was at the, I mean, I, I think most of the bigwigs were at the Wind and the Encore. And my wife and I, coincidental, total coincidence. Happened to be at the Encore, but I found out that uh, Seattle Bonneville management was down there. The the big cheeses from Bonneville and Salt Lake, they were there. I didn't see any of them, but I did text the first guy who ever gave me a shot at News Talk because he is, uh, and he was. He was just a couple years older than me, but he was the news director at King 1090. And I uh, and, and he and I got together for about 45 minutes last week. I hadn't seen him in, oh gosh, 30 years. But I wanted to say thank you to him because he was one of those people. And I'm trying to be better and better and better at the, the thank you thing. Uh, okay, so here's my, my little story about this guy that I met up with uh, in Vegas last week. I was working at King 1090, which was a station that nobody listened to in Seattle. Today's K-I-N-G. And uh, it had Pat Cashman, and I was on with Cashman in the mornings. And then they had a, a talk lineup. Jim Altoff and Rick Miller and... Oh, gosh, who else? John Hinterberger, who was a Seattle Times columnist. Nobody listened to the radio station. So, uh, but I was I was doing morning sports. I was working at the TV side 
as uh, as kind of a management job. He was an executive sports producer, and then I was doing morning sports up at King 1090. And one day, the TV news director, bad man. He was a bad man. I didn't like this man. His name was Bob Jordan. So Bob Jordan calls me in one day, cause, and, and I'll, I'll give you the numbers. So understand that you know, I grew up in poverty. I know that my household, my mom, when we never made more than about $10,000 in a year up until I was a teenager. It, we're, we just had nothing. So, uh, so all of a sudden... I'm doing this kind of management job for TV, and I was making forty grand a year. And I was doing radio on the side, uh, just recording morning sportscasts. I'd record them before I'd leave the building at midnight the night before. And they were paying, and then I did a weekend sports uh, talk show, Seattle Sports Weekend. And uh, radio was paying me about 18000 So I'm making fifty-eight grand a year. And coming from where I came from, that was a phenomenal amount of money. And so uh, I was feeling pretty good. And then my wife and I had our first baby. And uh, and I'm feeling good. Things are starting to you know click. Things are starting to take off a little bit. And then one day, the TV news director calls me in out of the blue. No reason. He says, uh, you got to quit the radio job. I was, what, huh? What? Because that was where my heart really was, radio more than TV at that point. And he goes, you got to quit the radio job. Said, Why? He said, well, I give you a lot of money to be a manager and to, to just work on the TV stuff, and uh, I don't want you distracted. I don't want you doing anything else. And I go, is there anywhere where my job has, has suffered? He goes, no, I just don't want you to. I go, I really don't understand. He goes, you have to quit the radio job, and that's all I'm telling you. Well, it turns out he was ticked off at Tony Ventrella. Because Tony Ventrella said something on the air that ticked off the news director. But Tony was the biggest TV star in Seattle at the time. And you couldn't, you couldn't go after Tony because he was, uh, he, he was a big deal. But the news director knew that Tony and I were best friends. So I just described this as like a mob hit. You can't go after the godfather, so you go after the family. Well, I was the family. And so uh, he told me I had to quit radio, and I'm devastated. I mean, not only am I going to go from fifty-eight thousand a year down to forty with a newborn at home, but I'm going to give up what I really wanted to do professionally. So I didn't have cell phones back then. So I drive up the street to a payphone, and I called my wife, and I said, "Hey, honey, I've a." Uh, I have a really crazy idea. She said, oh, okay. She's, she'd heard my crazy ideas before. I said, what would you think of if I quit the TV job and keep the radio? It means we'll just be making 18000 a year. And I'll never forget it. She said, you know what? I believe in you. If that's where your heart is, then that's what you should do. Oh, my goodness. So I go back to the building. Radio's up on the fifth floor. And they had just hired this new program director named Steve Wexler. That's the guy I met in Vegas last week. That's why I thought about this. 
So they had just hired him, and uh, I had never met him. I was just recording stuff the night before, and I he literally had been on the job for a, one week, and I'd never met the man. And I went in. I said, hey, Dory Monson, I'm your sports guy. Nice to meet you. Hey, um, TV news director just told me that I had to choose between TV and radio. Now, that's not true. He didn't say I had to choose. He just told me I had to quit radio. It was my goofy idea that I maybe would choose. And I said, uh, he told me I had to choose, and I think I'm going to stay with the radio. And Steve Wexler said, um, I wouldn't do that if I was you. <laughs> I'm just devastated. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, I know you're making a lot more in TV than radio. I can't pay you anymore. And he said, and quite frankly, I don't really like what I hear in your sports cast. <laughs> And he said, and so if I find somebody I like better, I'm probably going to go in a different direction. Ah, okay. So I'm, in, I'm just devastated. But I had this crazy idea. So I get back in my car. I drive back up the street to the payphone. I call my wife up. And I said, hey, honey, I have a crazy idea. <laughs> I told her what uh, what the new PD said to me, and uh, I laid out this plan for her. And she goes, "Okay." She goes, "We'll we'll always find a way to get by." So, I drive back to the King Broadcasting Building. I walk into the TV news director Bob Jordan's office, and I said, "I quit." He goes, "What?" I said, "I quit." What do you mean, quit? I said, I'm going to just do something else. I just don't want to, I don't want to work. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to work for you. I love the job. I love working with Tony, but I quit. And he said, kid, you just made the biggest mistake of your life. And I, and remember, all I knew up in radio was the guy up there didn't like what I did either. So I might go from 58,000 a year to zero in a matter of moments. So I, I go back up to the fourth floor where radio was. I walk back into the new guy, Steve Wexler's office. And uh, I said, hey, uh, I just quit my TV job. And the reaction I got from him was exactly what I was hoping. He started laughing. He said, you What? After what I just said to you a half hour ago? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, and you're honest with me, and I appreciate managers who are honest, and if you fire me right now, I have nothing to complain about. You were open and honest with me 30 minutes ago. If you fire me right now, I have no complaints. If you fire me tomorrow, I have no complaints. But give me 30 days. I said, like, yeah, I just stuck my neck out. I'm... I had a newborn at home. Just give me 30 days and see if I grow on you like a wart. But uh, but he, it turns out, he appreciated the chutzpah of me going all in on the longest of long shots. So I, I think in large part because of, of that moment, of that gamut, that, again, with my wife's blessing 
If my wife had said, no, no, honey, we need the security. We we got we to keep a little income here. We got a baby. If she'd said that, my radio career would have been over. And I'd be, I don't know what I'd be doing. I have no idea what I would be doing today. But, uh, but instead, Wexler liked the chutzpah of that. And soon thereafter, uh, and not only did I do this sports talk show on the weekends, but I said, hey, my interests are going way beyond sports. Can I add a news talk show? So I did a news talk show from 4 to 6 and a sports talk show from 6 to 8 on the weekends. And, uh, you know, I was working seven days a week. Uh, it was just, I was only still making 18000 a year. But then I said, hey, since I'm doing this new stuff on the weekends, let me fill in for the weekday guys. So whenever any of the front, you know, I'm like, I don't know, 28 years old. I mean, I'm just a kid. I had no business doing radio shows back then. But uh, so any time that the main talk guys at King 1090 had a day or a week off, I, I became the fill-in guy for them. And then two years later, Cairo Radio bought King Radio. I come over. Uh, I'm still on with Pat Cashman. And, and I'm doing morning news and sports. And then six months later, I was on a station called The Buzz, which was the FM talk station when talk was obscure on the FM time. And so I, uh, I was doing morning news and sports for about six months. And then I kept kicking that program director's door down, a guy named Tom Clendenning, another guy I owe my career to. And six months later, uh, Clendenning gives me the noon to three slot on Cairo Radio, the greatest talk radio station in the in the country, and here we are, twenty seven years later, still uh, chit chatting, you and me here in the afternoons. So, uh, so it was just it was very thrilling for me to to sit down last week with Steve Wexler, who, by the way. When somebody says, I don't like what you do and I don't like how you sound, and then that person says, hey, I just went all in on you. There are a lot of managers who would say, yeah, no, I already told you. I don't like what you do and you're gone. But this guy, he he loved that. And he was open-minded enough to say, okay, maybe I misread this guy. Maybe Maybe there's more there than what I realized. And I'm just telling you right now that it was so thrilling for me to sit down with him last week in Vegas. There was a, at the Encore, the sports book was closed. So he and I went into the sports book and we just sat down and we reminisced and, and I told him that whole story again, uh, about how we first met and it was just beautiful. So anyway, I found a video clip from my live show. That's the reason I, I wanted to share the story with you today too. I found the video clip of me telling that story in my live show, and I, I sent it to him last night, and he just enjoyed the heck out of that. He, he really did. So, uh, so anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you again since that was so fresh on my mind. But uh, the, the other thing about that is, as I've told you a million times, I love my job. I love doing this show. I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, 
and it, it'd be it's hard when you've been doing any job for 27 years to still have the same passion that you had the, the first week on the job and that's all true for me this passion and the enjoyment of it is all as high as it's ever been but i will say in life there is nothing like climbing the ladder that's a tough one man that is a tough one to replicate when you get to be my age because it is exhilarating and it's heartbreaking too because there are lots and lots of of problems and stumbles and nose and door slammed shut along the way but man when you get those breakthroughs and wow Cairo's giving me noon to three there's nothing like that there's nothing like that and uh, and it's really fun once in a while to reflect back on that because I still get the juice that I had back then, but it's, I, I don't think I'll ever replicate that. And there'll be other things, you know, whenever I'm blessed with grandkids, that will be the same type of joy, but it's, you know, different. Joy. I'm just talking professionally. There is nothing like that period where you are climbing the ladder and you're achieving those, those, goals that seemed so impossible so so there you have it i was just in a story mood today because uh i i sent my old boss the video clip of that story so that'd be good especially with nicole gone so she won't let me tell stories ever i've heard that one five times cry it out loud all right i guess that's it this has been a special retrospective celebrating the life and career of Dory Monson. That even now, when I know it wasn't right. I want to say thank you to you as we are approaching the end of the year. This has been, without question, the best year in the history of this radio show. 28 years. Uh, just more fired up than ever because you are listening. Uh, I am going to take next week off. I hope that you are surrounded going into this holiday Christmas season by people you love and that you are just feeling the love of these holidays. And I love you. I really do. I appreciate you so very much. Even if we disagree sometimes. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Uh, the John Perry and Sherry Elliker Show is coming up next. I'll see you soon. the end of an era you did a good job buddy now it's time to come home thank you very much ladies and gentlemen you're really a fantastic audience